Hello humans, how are humans? Later in the morning, still the 17th. And we're heading back out. I got some stuff done and now I gotta get out and get some um, chores finished. But uh, let's talk time for a minute. Time and hyperspace. So, um, humans can reach hyperspace by way of uh, psychedelics. And um, when you go to hyperspace, you have to, uh, there's a particular technique where you can use microdosing to get there. Um, it's more controllable than shamanic levels. It's a shorter duration. I'm talking mushrooms or mescaline, not like DMT. DMT is like a cannon. It just blows you right through hyperspace. You don't have a chance to, you know, uh, take off your rain gear and uh, set a spell. You just, you're just blown right through it. Um, anyway, in hyperspace, um, there is no um, sensation or appreciation for duration or time in that regard. So it is a hyperspace is a um, the incredible now. It is the uh, perpetual now. Uh, there is no thought in hyperspace of any time other than that particular instant that you have happen to be in. Uh, there is time, and you're aware of time. Uh, when I was there, um, I would kick back when I had mescaline. I would kick back and talked to this guy that had a, sort of a flat head and a slightly yellowish skin and had his emotions writing up over on the top of his skin, right? They were like biophotons that were emitted through the skin that, that were colored and they, they, they reflected his emotional state or hormonal or whatever. I mean, you don't get like a, an encyclopedia. Knowledge takes fucking years to extract out of your experience. So it's it's not like it's crystal clear at any given moment what the hell's going on relative to such details. Other things are crystal clear. Speaking of crystals, um, time in hyperspace was crystalline in nature. And it, and it moved in this like riverbed. Um, now bear in mind, in hyperspace, everything is alive. Every single fucking molecule is screaming for your attention, trying to get hold of you. And basically what's happening is you are uh, inundated with all of the frequencies of all of the uh, stuff that's in hyperspace. Not just your own body, which you're continually aware of in a way that you cannot grasp uh, when you're out of hyperspace, or if you've never been there. Uh, but everything is calling for your attention. So to look at time um, and study it and study the crystals of time within the, the riverbed uh, is a monumental task because the riverbed itself is screaming for your attention. The non-water that is there is screaming for your attention. All of these things are going on. And so it's very difficult to get focused and, and learn shit, right? But what was really interesting about the time aspect of it, the crystalline nature of time within hyperspace, is that each and every one of the crystals, had you had the uh, ability to really focus, you could have looked in on any of the um, 
the facets of any of those crystals and seen the events that were going to happen in that time that that crystal encapsulated. Um, you know, it's fucking impossible to do. And there's, there's no reference point, right? So just because you might have seen something in um, one of these crystals that was like a, um, oh, an earthquake or, you know, a landslide or a big fire or something. Well, there's like no, um, no anchor. There's no way to tell where in all of our universe those events were taking place. It wasn't like that you were, you were given anything that was specific to you and, um, you know, at that level, right? So this is what, um, uh, so, okay, so you would be able to see earthquakes and stuff, but it might have been on a planet that you would never even know of, right? Never even know its name. Uh, and, and just because you thought you saw humans on that planet doesn't necessarily mean they were actually there. That, you know, that it's, this shit is tricky. This is one of those reasons why my journeys through hyperspace is one of the reasons why I don't accept the idea of, um, uh, Joe of Jason F4, uh, with the idea of quote spirits as these somehow, I guess, semi-divine, uh, you know, I mean, he's really a little vague about what these spirits are, uh, but um, uh, he's basically saying they are somehow beings or life or whatever outside of himself that provides uh, these visions uh, in his dreams. And it's like, okay, I can understand getting visions in dreams, and I uh, do agree that his dream about the uh, reaching 300 or reaching uh, 38,000 on Bitcoin and then the crash actually was prophetic and happened because he, he fell out of the sky in an airplane when when Bitcoin reached 38,000 and he sold right so but here's the thing I live in a universe that does not know my name okay so when you go to hyperspace you don't have a name you don't you know there is none of that when you die you do not have a name names are attached to bodies all right so here's the thing uh, in my universe, universe doesn't know who the fuck I am, and in any uh, apparent seeming um, favoritism on the part of universe for me specifically has to be taken into the context of that moment uh, in terms of what universe needs to have done. It's not for me, it's for its own purpose, right? So universe may seemingly do something that favors me in order that something else may occur that I'm totally unaware of. And if I'm an ignorant pig, as most humans are, and I'm saying most humans, like, you know, 99.99999% of humans don't get this. And so in their, in their world, they would have something that favored them. So in this case, um, you know, Joe very easily could have slipped into that thing where he uh, could have gotten the idea that universe favored him by keeping them alive through that crash. And that was a point of seeming, I mean, like really fucking lucky favoritism on the part of universe. But what you have to understand from my perspective is that, that we live in a very mechanistic universe and it wasn't that the universe was being kind uh, to Joe, it's that it needs Joe later on. So you don't die before your time in this universe, right? I'm proof of that. I've died repeatedly, but universe kept saying, hey, fucker, <laughs> you know, you screwed up, but I'm not done with you yet, right? 
<laughs> and so it brought, brings me back. And poor Joe has had this happen. Now, I know guys that have had stuff that was nearly as miraculous as that, right? Uh, not quite as, as dramatic as Joe's fallen out of the sky. But I know a guy that was on a, um, uh, a river patrol PT boat in um, Vietnam, okay? And uh, there were like 11 people on the boat. They usually have a crew of three or four people. Uh, this was in the Mekong Delta. And um, they were patrolling and shit, right? And the boat was destroyed by an RPG, basically. It was a rocket. And the whole boat just is like obliterated. And this guy survived. All the other ten, all the other people died. Ten out of eleven died. And so this guy, he thought it was like personal, okay? The universe liked him uh, for more than just his participation and stuff. And so this guy... He went, you know, totally batshit religious, and he's a evangelical preacher now. And actually, he's he's he went a little bit crazy on it. And I don't know what universe is going to do with him, if it already has used him or whatever the fuck. But his life is not doing well uh, since he got really um, sunk in with the idea that that was a personal thing that universe did for him. So I don't see uh, Joe surviving uh, the airplane crash as favoritism from universe for Joe, for Joe's benefit. Joe's benefit in surviving, in my opinion, is like um, a, a side effect, an artifact of what's going on. Because universe does not know our names. It doesn't deal with us this way. Okay, so this is also why I think channeling is a bunch of horseshit, right? So now there are non-corporeal entities in our existence that we we can interact with them. It gets really complicated. I don't want to go into all of that shit at the moment. Um, and so you can open yourself up to shit, right? It is not what you are thinking in terms of uh, demons or being this um, uh, constructed being and so on. You really need to read, I think it's chapter four in Thinking and Destiny uh, to get into the the whole mishmash of that deep part of this woo. That's not my point here to discuss that. I wanted to discuss the nature of time um, and uh, uh, time and relativity, but not relativity the way that Einstein defines it, but actually relativity to consciousness. And so in my world, um, time powers everything. And uh, it powers everything through this pulse. And that pulse leaves an after effect within our materium that, that we call time with a little t. And it, that is a really duration. It's our ability to sense duration. Well, fuck. There was a sheriff going like 90 miles an hour the other direction. No, no um, sirens, but his lights going. We've had all kinds of accidents. We've had terrible weather out here. People have got uh, frozen pipes up the, um, or, or down in all of their, the ground in the area south of me. We've been, so far, we've been lucky with that. Uh, but it's really been brutal. It's uh, been the worst year in the years I've lived on the coast here for storms. Anyway, so um, so time powers everything through the pulse. The after effect of the pulse is duration, and neither of the and the and the pulse exists in hyperspace, but duration does not. You have no sensation of the passage of time in, in hyperspace. And so it is factual to state that you can actually, 
if you could arrange it, it could be done deliberately. But I have, I have, uh, let's say, accidentally. I mean, universe wanted me to know this. You got to get really weird in your thinking if you're a woo guy, and um, you know. But as I say, I'm not taking it personally. Universe has no anything that it has showed me toward in the sense of favoritism, keeping me alive through the colon cancer and all of this kind of stuff was entirely for universe's own benefit. Uh, it's not trying to do anything for me. I'm not special. Nobody is. This is why I get really pissed off at all these channelers and shit that, you know, they think they've got some skill. And, and also, by the way, channeling never produces anything worth having. It's all this bogus, um, uh, facile surface kind of shit. It in no way um, um, provides you anything um, extraordinary um, in the sense of um, information that you wouldn't have known anyway. This is because channeling is not what people think. People think, they're, they, I'm gonna rant for a second. People think that channeling is uh, somehow opening your mind up in some external entity, just like Joe thinks it's these external spirits. Uh, you know, he doesn't really define them any more than that. It's like, eh, it gets really vague and, and so on. But um, uh, channeling is thinking that there's this external entity, which you'll give it a name, and thus, therefore, it is real here in this materium because things that are real in this materium have names, even though once you're dead, nothing has names. Um, and so they'll think that they're getting external information via this conduit. And what's factually happening is more akin to this idea where you do open yourself up to an external entity. If you want to call it a spirit or a demon, that's fine. I don't give a shit. Neither of those are really descriptive, nor do they uh, convey what the thing actually is. But that little bit of um, uh, external consciousness that is impinging on your encapsulated consciousness makes you think. It actually works to make you think that it is the source of stuff, but it's just rooting around in your mind and coming up with this. So no channeler has ever produced any information that was not already in their brain. Channelers do not open a channel to an outside entity of any form that gives them information. What they do is they open up this channel to something that will trigger their mind for a lot of different reasons. Read chapter four of Thinking and Destiny. Maybe it's chapter five, but one of these, it gets into it. And, uh, and it pulls all this extraneous bullshit out of your brain and packages it in this rather pablum, facile form, and that's channeling. So Bashar, none of these fuckers have any uh, validity in my opinion, right? They're, they're rooting around and, and they're not even doing it. They're allowing this process to occur uh, with this feeling. And again, it's all emotion. That's what Joe is basing his stuff on now. At least he didn't get the point where uh, he thinks that it's actually, um, uh, you know, that his survival is, was intended by universe for him and him alone. Universe obviously has some really big thing for Joe. Okay, so here, so this is the way you, this actually works. I mean, it is, you can think of it in, we may never know, right? So, so Joe could go through the rest of his life and it may be, appear absolutely ordinary. And yet he could have indeed accomplished something hugely significant uh, that for universe that none of us could have picked out from his actions. Maybe he has to be at a certain intersection, at a certain place, at a certain time, in order that something else may not occur. 
And, you know, so universe needs him for that, so it keeps him alive. But it could be that it could be quite dramatic. You just never know. Um, I actually think that it, I'm favoring that it's a dramatic thing, okay, just because of the language that shows up around Joe in the processes that I run and that has shown up around him because of the nature of his name and because of the nature and or, or the way in which I did my data sets back in uh, uh, the year 2000, um, Joe pops on, into it. I've just kept it in there ever since. Anyway, um, so it it may well be that, that, that Joe will end up having something dramatic. I think this for a number of different reasons, okay? Anyway, though, so... Um, but in, Okay, so it need not be a dramatic thing in order to be saved that way. But now, getting back to the time aspect of this. Uh, we won't know. We'll never be able to see. We can examine Joe's life from now until the day he dies. Maybe he's going to get, uh, you know, be extraordinarily lucky and, and live to be 120, right? And maybe we'll never see what it was Universe wanted to have happen. But it obviously has a huge level of significance because of the effort that it takes for Universe to keep Joe alive through that amount of uh, energy through that uh, through, through the energy that was released in that crash. So uh, I'm a real fan of Buckminster Fuller. I examine everything on um, uh, an energy principle. You know, reduce everything to energy equations in order to get a good view and work up from there. And so there was a huge amount of energy that was liberated in the process of Joe doing that crash. And we do not see the resolution of that energy in the sense that uh, if we thought of it in, in my language terms, this would be building tension and we have yet to have any release around it, really. But anyway, so um, the nature of time is such that uh, irreversibility uh, is the key in looking at all kinds of things, especially in uh, energy analysis calculations. And, and um, so I'm, I'm favoring the idea that Joe has some fairly dramatic stuff ahead of him in the future, obviously to the benefit uh, of, you know, to something that universe wants to have happen. Um, and it may be off number of years, we just don't know, could happen tomorrow. That's just the way this shit goes. Um, but I'm of the opinion that that's the, uh, the way this is going to be because of the number, because of the sheer amount of irreversible actions that took place in that crash. Okay, so um, it's all right. I, I'm not going to get into that. It's too tedious to to detail irreversibility and how how it really works. And you can you can actually examine uh, energy equations uh, for events and say at this point there was an uh, an irreversible action. Okay, so in like the case of Joe's. Um, uh, crashing, he's flying along, and uh, conditions uh, force him to try and land. He's in the process of trying to land, get underneath this cloud cover, and so there were a couple of points of irreversible action. Once he was under the cloud cover, he was not coming back up through it, right? So that was irreversible at that point. Once he uh, pulled out on his 
uh, fuel lever to get more fuel to get more power and it did not work and then he pushed it in and did it again that was an irreversible action at that point in his mind he was aware that it wasn't going to do any good to be fucking around with that anymore and he had to concentrate on keeping his ass alive right so each and every one of these stages uh, accumulate a number of irreversible actions and if you deal with time in a particular way and plot it within your um, energy calculations uh, based on um, one of the factors being irreversible actions, you get a very interesting picture of what Joe survived and the amount of fucking around that Universe had to do to accomplish that. This is a very, uh, those are, as we note, really fucking rare for people to have crashes and walk away. So I went looking to see how statistically unlikely that was and uh, I could not come up with a meaningful number that said, um, you know, it was like uh, one out of X number of crashes, right? Because we go whole years here in the United States. And I, I was just plotting on single engine planes, you know, six seaters or smaller. Four is really what Joe had, I think. So, you, but you can't, the, the FAA doesn't keep all the records that way. So it's really difficult to look. But if you go and look at all this shit, uh, we go years without that occurring. So we go years where every single crash that um, uh, we have is a, uh, you know, a small plane. Uh, there's total irreversible damage. And look at what happened to Joe, right? His plane was irreversibly damaged. All of this kind of shit was irreversible. His mind was affected, uh, but his body was not irreversibly damaged. And that is so rare, I could not find a meaningful metric by which to judge it in the past in a, our recent aviation history. So it's that fucking rare. So in that sense, I think, wow, you know, Universe likes Joe, and that's not necessarily good, <laughs> right? Because that means Universe is going to use your ass for something else, and you may not like that. Uh, you know, if it, if it had been my druthers, I would not have been here for these past five or six years. Yes, I've contributed and so on, and maybe there's more shit I've got to do, which is my thinking anyway. But, you know, from my particular perspective, it would have been far better that I had died. Uh, you know, because I've really had to struggle to get through all of this shit. I've had to uh, mount and create a whole lot of irreversible actions, right? Irreversibility in terms of getting my body fit and all of this kind of stuff, crawling back up out of that, that cancer and expending my energy, making all these decisions, yada, yada, yada. So, um, so that can be a real, uh, a real pain, like, you know, like, Truly, you just don't want to do it. You're just tired. You say, fuck it. I don't want to do it. I just want to die and get it over with, right? Um, anyway, though, so uh, time at that uh, level, time as the motive force for the creation of universe, for the magnetism that holds everything together, for the creation of ether, psychic events, all of this kind of stuff, is something that is um, uh, to completely absent in the thinking of the normies. They think because of Einstein that time is a dimension, right? And they can never really wrap their heads around it. They can't describe it. But they think that time is like the fourth dimension in the sense of, you know, length, breadth, and width, and then time, duration. And it is not a, not a, um, a dimension at all. Uh, like the dimensions, though, you could alter material fact here relative to time, okay? So you can do things like time compression, time dilation, 
you can't travel in time though and all that Einsteinian stuff is um, really bogus that way and the um, the military a uh, number of whom uh, a number of governmental guys are following me on Twitter and Substack okay and uh, it's just really curious their particular approaches to doing so. So they think that I'm onto something relative to this. But let me say that, in my opinion, uh, all the guys that are reverse engineering spaceships don't understand time, and they're making some assumptions that are not valid, and probably going to come back and bite them in the ass later on. Uh, this would include the guys at Lockheed Martin who have reverse engineered the, the machinery and know how to drive it and stuff, right? Um, they don't understand what they're doing relative to um, the flow of time, the nature of time, the pulse that creates the materium, and this concept of irreversibility, which is inherent in time. Okay, so time is all about irreversibility. It does not want and it prevents uh, the um, undoing of events. So um, all of that is a, is a fake understanding uh, of reality, that you can undo something, that there is a possibility for recompense. There is debt that is accrued when you wrong someone and you carry that debt forward in time and you may be able to make amends, but you can never undo the wrong that caused that offense in the beginning. And you can't go back and uh, fix it. And all of our thinking and wishful thinking about time travel will be disappearing here uh, in a fairly uh, short period uh, as we get into our encounters with the space aliens and all of that. But anyway, so um, Cozy Rev, the astrophysicist, brilliant astrophysicist out of Russia uh, in the um, uh, last century, uh, was able to identify active principles of time by which you can actually manipulate local time effects on the material. You can't alter the time itself because that is what creates the material. Uh, but you can, you can take advantage of understanding time and cause effects uh, within the material on matter, including ourselves, uh, with time. But you can't push us through it in any way, shape, or form. Now, maybe, well, we can get into that some other, other period, another one of these talks. Um, you can view, in my opinion, you can do some level of viewing, uh, like remote viewing, uh, out of our current time, but then you're getting into some really um, uh, wooey areas there where you got to be, where you, where you have to go into it assuming that you'll never know, that there'll never be any certainty, uh, and that most of it is probably bogus. So, to a certain extent, it's like, eh, why bother? Um, anyway, okay, so uh, in hyperspace, there are beings there that are not there by way of psychedelics. They're, where, they're there by way of some form of technology, and they appear to you when you're taking psychedelics and you're in hyperspace as something other than... Uh, all of the other chattery shit that's all around you. Um, so you'll see these these consciousnesses. You don't know what kind of a being they are, and you can't, you know, it's like stupid, like Carrie Cassidy calling everything reptiles and dracos, and it's, she's never seen a reptile. There's never a reptilian around. She doesn't have any pictures. They don't exist in reality. You know, it's all a delusion in her mind. 
Um, but in hyperspace, uh, there are beings there, but you don't know what the fuck they are, but you know that they are unlike you in that particular state in getting there. And, and these guys are like, um, you might say hunkered down. They're like the road warts, the little bumps on the road, right? These, the, their appearance within hyperspace is this little, um, a rigid shell that moves a little bit and so on, but it's not like the frenetic activity of everything else. But you definitely know that there's consciousness in there and that it's watching you um, as you're off doing stuff. But you also know that that it's, um, let's just say, mechanistically there, right? It is tied to that machinery and it didn't have, doesn't have the freedom that you do when you're there on a psychedelic to go wander around and explore stuff and that sort of thing. These guys are like... Uh, Static. Um, there may be some point. I think that these guys are there uh, by way of this mind-to-machine interface uh, technology. Because there's a whole lot of stuff in the ancient human literature from the people that did the mind-to-machine interface um, controllers on behalf of the Elohim. Um, and um, reported, uh, essentially, were describing experiences in hyperspace. <coughs> very much as as um, we experience them, only they're they're talking about it from the perspective of being one of those road warts uh, on the surface of hyperspace. You know, just looking in and not being able to walk around and stuff. I'm certain you can learn things, but you know how useful it is. I don't know. Nonetheless, though, so these guys are there uh, in this form, and uh, and we see them, but they are. Mm, let's say isolated uh, from the from the huge level of knowledge that you get from hyperspace, but it's kind of like um, how do I say it? Uh, they don't participate in irreversible acts in hyperspace the way you do. So if you're in hyperspace and you can do things that are irreversible, as I did when I was. Um, interacting with the guy who has the emotions on his skin. And again, he has a name, I'm certain, but I don't know. You know, you don't talk to people. It's all mental. You have to draw pictures and and, and do all different kinds of weird shit to get uh, ideas across. Some ideas just float right on out. Uh, so I was sitting on what appears to be a rock, uh, which was, you know, bitching and moaning at me for sitting on it. Uh, in hyperspace, and I'm sitting next to this guy with the, the his emotion on his skin, and he's uh, he's lying next to the the riverbank there, and uh, he points directs he points and directs my attention down into this little shallow river that has non water in it. <laughs> I can't describe that, but non water. But at the bottom of it are all these time crystals, and then I saw the time crystals all move. Uh, not in unison, but in more like a, um, uh, you know, one starts downstream and then the next one and the next one and the next one, sort of in a series. And so so he was able to convey to me the idea, watch, something's going to occur. And then uh, I saw irreversibility occur. And then I learned so much from from watching that occur, right? I don't think that these other guys that are there mechanistically have that ability to get into it and uh, understand what the hell is going on, simply because... It is mechanistic for them. 
Um, but they're certainly there in, in attempting to do things. It may be that those are simply representations of people that are using the mind-to-machine interface at that moment, and they're not a- attempting to be in hyperspace. That's not their goal, but rather that is just where that activity takes place. There's so much we don't know. It's, it's uh, you know, we're really, truly ignorant pigs. But unlike, um, I'm going to have to wrap it up here, but unlike um, our academics and stuff, us woo people will indeed uh, accept those possibilities and we'll discuss them factually, openly, and so on, right? So this is what really is um, you have to watch out for with all of these, like, as I was saying in the other talk, uh, all of these new uh, alternative voices that have been identified for you, put together, packaged, and so on. So, you know, Naomi Wolf, I like her. I've talked to her um, in the past. Um, She's a pretty good thinker and I love her writing, but she's compromised, right? She's, she's now in this organization. And so, so her, she can be directed, controlled, there's money involved and there's uh, social pressure, et cetera, et cetera. And so, uh, so she's compromised. And so I won't accept everything she writes as being uh, necessarily a hundred percent organic, just as with Brett and, you know, and Heather and uh, Eric and all these other fuckers. Um, none of the academics have a clue as to the idea of irreversibility and its function here in our materium. It is probable by the end of this year that some of these academics will indeed uh, come across this understanding and have to grapple with it. And this will be because of the reappearance of the Elohim or space aliens. We don't know for sure it's going to be Elohim. We don't know who the fuck it is, but there's irreversibility going on in the form of uh, battles, contention, death and warfare kind of stuff on the moon right now. And so, and it's, and it's really picking up. Um, if we were to look at this at a realistic level and do an assay on the amount of energy involved and the, and just make some guesses as to the resources available to the people that are, or beings that are being attacked, um, in this, I would suggest that maybe this could be sustained for about another six or seven months, and we would have some form of a conclusion. Either in that period of time, the assaulting forces will um, overwhelm the defenders, or the assaulting forces will uh, potentially, and there's a lot of potential, so this is basically a big-ass guess, um, but would potentially uh, diminish their resources to the point that they would stop and, and make an assay as to what they're attempting to gain for the expenditure of resources. Uh, so in other words, I'm saying, I don't think they can keep, uh, the expenditure of energy at this level for more than another seven or eight months without there being some form of an irreversible act in the sense of a conclusion to some level of the contention. So, uh, so there's that. Now that is worrisome to me, uh, because uh, it instantly begs the question to me, and that is, once the activity on the moon, once the contention on the moon is resolved one way or another, does that mean that we're going to be visited here on Earth uh, by uh, uh, somebody also intent on an irreversible action? Um, I don't know. I don't know, right? You can you can postulate it any number of ways. Um it's fraught with uh, error, no matter how you do it, and um, and it's all conjecture at this at this point. We will be seeing some level of resolution. Uh, we should be able to see it, and then we'll have to decide um, 
you know, it's, <laughs> is it uh, pending towards us? So if we were to postulate that the Elohim on the moon are, are fighting it out with uh, whoever the fuck the ringmakers of Saturn are, um, uh, then would the ringmakers come here after they uh, destroyed the Elohim? They may. I certainly do think they would destroy the Elohim, just given the amount of resources and energy shown by the uh, civilization or whatever the fuck we're going to call it that's out there making those rings. So anyway, um, a lot of speculation, but um, part of that speculation is pointing to um, data sets that are accruing now, suggesting that we're going to hit this this okay, so there within hyper novelty, there's going to be all kinds of stuff happening, and within the hyper novelty period, we will come to some kind of a uh, a point of big irreversibility, and that will affect all the normies, all the life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, uh, as we go forward, it may not be um, violent or catastrophic. Uh, it may just be a giant. Um, change in consciousness as all of us uh, sit here and watch hundreds of thousands of UFOs flying around, right? Uh, That's going to be an irreversible act at that point. All of consciousness of uh, the humans on Earth would have changed in that particular short period of time of all those UFOs flying around. So, But we're coming up to some kind of a a point of irreversibility uh, at a large scale, given what's going on. I also think that, you know, within this larger mass, we'll see some of these uh, exposures, uh, maybe if we're looking as to, you know, basically what the fuck is, is universe got, uh, in store for Joe and the rest of us. Right. But, but, you know, he's, he's a good temporal marker because universe kept him alive through a hugely, uh, devastating energetic event, which was falling out of the sky in that airplane. Anyway, guys, I got to get stuff done. I'll do some more of these as I can. Um, We've been hit hard here with damage and that kind of stuff, so it's going to be few and far between. My office is just a shambles now after all of the recent um, storms. Uh, So, you know, I could maybe do a video, but I'd have to be really motivated to do that. Anyway, talk to you later.